Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see y'all's bright, smiling faces this morning. I wanted to let you know, Rocky is at the Southern Baptist Convention. That's why he's not here. Be praying for him. They're making some very important decisions there this week. Pray that everything would go according to God's will. Before we start, though, I'd like us to say our confession of faith about this word. So if you take your Bible, hold it up, repeat after me. This is God's word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2 and just hold your place there, before I actually get into the message, I want to give some illustrations that will help kind of flesh out and bring to light the message that we're going to be looking at this morning. The first one is I'd like to speak to you about a guy named Bron Clifford. Bron Clifford is uh, featured in Steve Farrar's book, Finishing Strong. He was a powerful preacher in the late 40s, early 50s. Uh, he was a young fireball, gifted evangelist. The man could preach. People would line up uh, for, for blocks to hear him preach. When he went to speak at Baylor University, they were so, uh, uh, so captivated by him that they wanted to make sure that there were no distractions. They literally cut the ropes from the bells that would sound so there'd be no distraction when this man spoke. He spoke for two and a half hours on a subject called the Christ and the Philosopher's Stone, and the students stayed engaged the entire time, hanging upon every word. People thought this was going to be the most dynamic preacher of the century. He had preached to more people than any other evangelist in the day. In fact, they were making a movie, some of y'all may have seen an older movie called The Robe, and they wanted him to star in it uh, because he just had this charisma, this magnetism. I wish that story would have continued along those lines, but it was in 1954 that Clifford, Bon Clifford, who, who was one of the most powerful preachers of the time, lost his family, his wife and his two Down syndrome children who were left penniless by him. He became a used car salesman in Amarillo. Eventually, in 1954, in his 30s, he was found in a cheap hotel room on the outskirts of Amarillo, he died of cirrhosis of the liver. Alcoholism had taken everything from him. I'm sure those first few drinks thought it was going to be a lot of fun. In fact, it may have been a lot of fun. But eventually, it took all that he had. Finally, a few pastors got a collection together, was able to buy a cheap casket and send him to his home on the East Coast where he was buried in a pauper's grave. So you may be thinking, man, how, how in the world could that? I mean, a preacher, a guy who's preaching, how could that happen? Well, you don't have to look that far. In the pages of Scripture, 
Jesus himself had someone with him, didn't he? A man by the name of Judas who sat under his teaching, who saw his glory, his power, his divine attributes. In fact, look at Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. It says in that chapter that Jesus called his 12 disciples together. Now, when he did this in Matthew chapter 10, that would have included who? Judas, that's right, and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Now, I want you to get the picture here. Judas Iscariot was going to people and saying, be healed, and they were healed. People who were possessed by demons, he was saying, in the name of Jesus, come out of him, and they were coming out. He was a man that was being used. But we all know he was a traitor. I mean, if you'd have saw Judas during those days, you'd have thought, man, I wish I could be like Judas. But you would have never known what was going on in the heart. You see, he had a love for the world, the things of the world. In fact, get this, for 30 pieces of silver, he betrayed Jesus Christ and eventually committed suicide. Even with Paul, Paul had someone, someone he trusted, someone who was on the team. You ever heard of the name Demas? He's not well known in the scriptures, but he's mentioned a couple of times. Demas, he was, Paul was writing in the book of Philemon. He was in prison. He's walk, writing to his uh, brother in Christ, Philemon, and he writes this at the end. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, he was in prison with Paul, sends you his greetings. So do, now catch this, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers, my team, my homeboys. These are the ones I can trust. These are the ones, men, that are with me through thick and thin. But probably if you'd have saw Demas, he said, man, I wish I could be like him. Man, sitting under the instruction and the teaching of Paul, how great would that be? Right? Serving with Paul, who's probably the greatest missionary ever, and Demas is serving with him. How great would that be? Serving with Paul. But unfortunately, in the last epistle that Paul writes, right before his martyrdom, he writes to his brother in Christ, Timothy, 2 Timothy. And this is what he writes about Demas. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. I wonder how Paul felt at that moment when he was, when he was writing those words down. Demas, my friend, my brother. I think he put the, his finger on the pulse, though, of of what the problem was. Did you catch it? He says, because he loved this world. Boy, that's a temptation for all of us, isn't it? I mean, everything that happens in this world, I mean, the commercials that you write, all of it's designed to draw you in 
to make you love the things of this world. That's what happened to Demas. And all these people, if we'd have seen them at a certain point in time, we would have said, man, I wish I could be like them. But the whole time, they were living a hypocritical life. Eventually, their love, their true love for the world was exposed and their hypocrisy became clear. John addresses this topic in the passage that we are going to look at. But that passage in 1 John chapter 2, I wanted to put in the context of the entire book. Why did John write this book? Why did John write 1 John? Well, thankfully, he tells us. And in 1 John 5, 13, he says, I have written this to you who believe, who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know Man, if you have a Bible, I'd underline that word. Know that you have eternal life. Because of God's faithfulness and of his promises, I can tell you this morning that Steve Allen, when he dies, I am going directly to heaven, to the very presence of Jesus Christ. Because the scriptures are clear, to be absent from this body is to be. This side is awake, praise God. Y'all have another chance later. To be present with the Lord, I know I'll be right in his presence. In fact, I don't ever die, really. I just go from this existence right to the very presence of Jesus Christ where I will live forever. And John's wanted to write to these people so they can know that they have eternal life or they can know that they don't. And in fact, in 1 John, you'll see many tests that he gives so people can know whether they're followers of Christ or not. And the Bible tells us, you know, we need to do that, you know, regularly examine ourselves. In fact, it says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you failed the test. This morning, I'm wanting us to examine ourselves. Quite honestly, I know that there are four groups here this morning. There's some of you that are like, like me, you know you're saved. <laughs> Man, you're confident of it. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know that the moment you die on this earth, you'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ. But there's another group. And you're saved, but you're living with doubts. You're living with doubts, maybe because of some habitual sin, maybe something that you're struggling with, maybe just not knowing enough of God's word. But you're struggling. You're saved, but if someone were to ask you, do you know you go to heaven, you would say something along the lines of, I really hope so. And there's another group, and this one, I'll be honest with you, concerns me the most. There's a group here this morning that you believe you're saved, but you're not. I don't know who, who you are. I just know in a group this size, there's definitely some like that. I mean, you're basing your... Your salvation of that, man, I attend every Sunday morning. I'm a faithful attender, you know. I'm doing the stuff. I remember listening to uh, Bob Hope. I love Bob Hope. He was a, um, 
you know, a clean comedian, which you don't have that much anymore. And I can remember, though, later in life, a reporter asking him, hey, do you think you'll go to heaven when you die? And his response was, of course. Look at all the good things I've done. And man, that broke my heart. Because I really like Bob Hope, you know. <laughs> but there's some that are, that are basing their salvation on, on, on attendance or other things like that. In fact, they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're not even really sure what that is. They, they know about Christ, but they don't know Christ. And that's what's critical. Fourth group, you're lost, you know it, you don't care. Well, maybe you care a little bit. <laughs> but you know you're lost. And you just, man, I, just, I think I'm just one, I need to fool around a little bit more. I need to do some more. I need to have fun before I come to Jesus Christ. In fact, I just talked to a guy, pest control salesman. Maybe he's come by your place, selling me pest control. And uh, I told him I shared the gospel. I shared how Jesus Christ has changed my life. And he said that very same thing. Man, there's some things I want to do before I give my life to Jesus. Well, we come to a test that John gives us. It's in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. And that's what we'll be looking at mostly this morning. So let's look at that now. Do not love this world, nor the thing is, things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements and possessions, these are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Now, this passage actually begins with an imperative. Now, you know what an imperative is, right? I mean, if you don't, if you have children, you know what an imperative is. Like, go clean your room. Do your homework. Those are imperatives, right? And in here, this is, in fact, the very first imperative in 1 John is this. Do not love the world. The understood subject there is you. It's not written there. It's understood. You do not love the world. So you can just put your name in there. Bob, Gladys, Alice, Gertrude, John, it don't matter. You can take your name. Steve, do not love the world or the things of the world. So that's the imperative. That's a command that he is giving to us. Now, a lot of us will think, well, man, what does he mean by that? <laughs> Can't love the things of the world? Well, the word he's using there is a word, believe it or not, is agape, right? Agape. Y'all know what agape is the word for divine love. It's this, this unconditional love that God has given to us. He says, do not love the world unconditionally. See, that's the key. It's not necessarily the things of the world that cause us the problems. It is the love for the things of the world. When we put things before God, when they become our pursuit of those things become more important than our pursuit for God, then we are showing an agape love, an unconditional love for those things. And God is falling below that. Paul makes this clear when he writes in uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, he says, but people who long to be rich, that's their craving, their longing, fall into temptation or trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So, left side, what is the root of all evil? Love of money, yes. Very good. Y'all did much better then. Love of money. Is, there, is money the root of all evil? No. Elsewise, we just have to empty our pockets, wouldn't we? But it is the love of money. And what happens is people who love money pursue that, and they fall into temptations, into snares, into destructions, because here's the thing. The world offers all this stuff to you. The devil, he, he, give, he offers this stuff, but you have to remember, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The end of that is destruction. It looks good. That few drinks of beer or whiskey or whatever Bon Clifford had, it ended up in him alone, dead in a hotel room and the outskirts of Amarillo. He was never told that at the beginning. Do not agape the world or the things of the world. Now, what are we talking about when we say the world, right? Well, the Greek word there is the Greek word cosmos, from which we get our English word cosmos. You Greek theologians, they all are incredible. Cosmos, that's right. And in fact, sometimes when we look at this word, you have to look at the context that it's in to know what it's talking about. Because sometimes the world is used for well, for the world, the earth, the sky, the universe, right? Um, but it can't mean that there because we are to be good stewards of the world, right? And it talks about that God's creation manifests his power, his majesty. And anything that manifests his power and majesty, we ought to love, we ought to like that. So it can't be talking about the created world. God's a great creator. In fact, when he created everything, he made the pronouncement, this is good. But the other thing that definitely comes to me is like the mass of humanity. In fact, when Jesus' brothers were around him, they were saying, hey, go up to Jerusalem. And he was saying, look, the world can't hate you. It can't me, but it can't hate you. And what he was talking about there is obviously not creation, but he was talking about the mass of humanity, people that he was talking about. In fact, it's the same word that's used in the most popular verse in the Bible, left side, for God so loved the... Man, they are getting on it, isn't it? Right side, you're going to have to catch up. For God so loved the world. Now there he's talking about humanity, about people. But isn't it interesting here in John 3, 16, he says, for God so loved the world. But what's he telling us in 1 John chapter 2, 15? Do not. Well, is that a contradiction? No. We're looking at the context. Here, the world, let me give you the third definition for cosmos or the world. Here, it's talking about the world system, this system that is anti-God. In fact, John describes it just a few verses later as anti-Christ. And it's this world system that is set up against God. And he's saying, do not love this world system. This world system is designed to pull you away from God or to keep you away from God. While you are following the things of the world, you are definitely not following Jesus Christ. Moses had that choice. 
Moses was, you know, the prince of Egypt, right? He was raised in the royal household. And at that time, you need to know this, Egypt was the most powerful, wealthiest nation in the world at that time. Moses was being raised up in that world. And he had a choice to make. Was he going to pursue those things or was he going to pursue the things of God? And look what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. It says about Moses, he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. Moses had a choice. All the world has to give you, basically, are the sufferings of Christ. And he chose the sufferings for Christ. Why? He said he was looking ahead, looking ahead to the great reward. Let me give you a more current example. Have any of y'all seen the uh, press conference with the Oklahoma girls softball national champions? There's one person from Oklahoma back there. Lucky you. Let me say, I didn't even know Oklahoma was playing the national championship. I didn't know girls softball was going on. But let me tell you, I saw this press conference and I was amazingly blessed. Now, is it okay to love softball? Yeah, you just don't put it ahead of God. And one of the reporters was asking these girls, there's three of them up there, with all the anxiety, he noticed that they had a lot of joy, a lot of happiness that was going on on their team. He goes, with all this anxiety through the season, how do you stay joyful? How do you stay happy like that? And the first one to answer says this. Her name's Grace Lyons. The only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. On national TV. Dude. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. The other player, her name's Jada Coleman, says, I 1,000% agree. I went through my, now this, she was, she was lost. A couple of years ago, they won it also. She was lost. She goes, I went through that my freshman year. I was so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel fulfilled. She had everything that the world had to offer, the softball world had to offer, and she did not fulfill. She did not feel fulfilled. And then she says, I had to find Christ. Man, on national TV, one, Alyssa Brito says, we always say this, eyes up. We're fixing our eyes on Christ. And she says, you can't find fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and in our love for each other and our love for the game. Because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm. Let me tell you something. Did they want to win the College World Series? Yes. But they had a purpose far greater than that, and that was to bring glory to God. And what John is saying is, man, do not love the world. Do not love that stuff. Bring glory to God. Live for him. And that's what they were doing. Now, let me give you four reasons to avoid loving the world that he gives us in these verses. The first thing is that it's impossible to love the world and love your heavenly father. Look what it says. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the father in you. 
I mean, that's an important statement. He's giving us a test. He's saying, examine yourself. When he's doing this, he's wanting you to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith, whether you can know that you have eternal life. Most of us live a balancing act, right? Like we're on a tightrope. And Jesus is over here on you know, Sunday mornings. We put a foot over there. Then we come back because it's Monday. And we put a foot in the work world. And we don't want to be fanatic. Maybe telling people about Jesus at work or telling people about Jesus in the neighborhood. That's a that's a, I got to be balanced. But Jesus makes this very clear. You cannot walk a tightrope. You cannot ride the fence with him. You cannot serve two masters. You can only serve one master. Jesus says it like this, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money or to softball or to ice cream or to Krispy Kreme. It don't matter. All of it, everything, Jesus has to come in front of that. You have to love him more. You know, all the time we do things like we compartmentalize. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, you've got like... This compartment is called the Jesus compartment, all right? We're doing that compartment on Sunday morning. Then, you know, Monday comes on, we got work compartment, we got family compartment, we got our fun compartment. We try not to mix those up, you know? Keep Jesus over here, work here, family here, fun. I had one guy, and this is a true story, who told his wife that when SEC football starts, I don't exist on Saturdays. I'll be watching football. Don't bother me. Woo! And aren't you wise? Don't y'all think, wow, wouldn't it be great to be married to him? And some of you men are saying, now, who was that wife? No, I'm kidding. The fact is, he loved NCAA football during the football season. Didn't want to have anything to do with her at that time. You say, that's tragic. That's horrible. That's awful. But how many of us do that with Jesus? Oh, Jesus, on Sunday morning, you are the most important thing in my life. But on Monday, you know, I work. I got to support my family. You know, I got to cut corners. You know, maybe I'll have to lie, do a little stuff here. Uh, You can't expect me to be like 100% obedient at work. The same thing that that husband said to his wife, so many of us say to Jesus time and time again. Jesus has to be the king of all your compartments. Paul was someone who basically, I mean, he had all the world had to offer. I mean, he was a Pharisee, but he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he had it all. I mean, he uh, was strict, was legal, went by the book, he was well-known. He was persecuting the church because he was so zealous for Phariseeism. And this is what he says about all of those accolades that he had gotten. He compares the world to his love for Christ. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. 
Look, if you love the world six days a week and love God on Sunday morning, then I would urge you, urge you this morning, please evaluate your spiritual condition. If you are living for yourself during the week, if your thoughts towards Christ are small, few, or non-existent, evaluate where you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Second reason not to love the things of the world, the things of the world promote self-love, not love for the Father. Look what it says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, for me, a craving for everything we see that I see, that I want, and pride in our achievements, my achievements and my possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. So first of all, we see physical pleasure there, that lust, that craving of the flesh is physical pleasure. We all have these different cravings, but this physical pleasure are things that, that we have that our body needs, that we, that we long for. Food, for example. Food is something that we need, right? It's okay to eat food. Right? It's okay to eat bluebell ice cream. It's okay to eat Krispy Kreme. Maybe not a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. See, what happens is we take food outside God's boundaries, and then it becomes called gluttony. Sex is perfect for a man and a woman for a lifetime within the boundaries of marriage. Go outside of that, and it's called adultery. Sleep, we all need sleep and rest. But when you're doing nothing, just laying around the house all day, always resting, that's called laziness, slothfulness, whatever. It's going outside the boundaries, but this craving for the flesh becomes a thing that we want more than any, anything else at all. The lust of the eyes. I see it, I want it. Like that girl, what's her name on um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? What's her name? Bianca? Bianca, she saw an Oompa Loompa. So she wanted an Oompa Loompa. <laughs> and then she went into this song, Don't care how, I want it now. That's how we are, right? I mean, some of you get on Amazon and you're like, oh, in the cart, oh, in the cart. Do you need that? Absolutely. You didn't know you needed it till you saw it. <laughs> then all of a sudden you need it, right? That's the lust of the eyes. The pride of life. Pride life is when I'm on the pedestal, when everyone looks at me. It's that whole thing when someone says, who the man? And you say, I'm going over here. Some people come over and say, who the man? You say, you the man. That's right. You the man. And so what you do is you, you want to be lifted up. You want to be praised. That's the pride of life. That's what happened with Eve, right? The food, good to eat. The food, looked good the food the fruit one that would make one wise like god so she took it and ate it the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes pride of life jesus went through the same temptation right the lust of the flesh what was it that satan tempted him with bread that's right turn these stones to bread you ain't eaten in 40 days jesus just turn these stones to bread the lust of the eyes the kingdoms of the world. Here they are. Look, you can have them. The pride of life, what he wanted to do? Jump off the temple mount, off the top of the temple. No, the busiest place in Jerusalem is the temple where all the elites would be. Anybody who was anybody would be there at the temple. Jesus, jump off, do a couple of flips, somersault, half twist, a triple gainer. Boom. And what would people say? You the man, <laughs> right? 
That's what they'd say, the pride of life. But Jesus defeated every single one of those temptations. Why? How did he defeat them? Because he loved the Father more than the things of this world. Third reason that the world is fading away along with everything that people crave. What is so important to you? Is it your accomplishments? Your degrees? Your doctor so-and-so or... I'm not, I'm not saying these things are meaningless. The, the softball national championship wasn't meaningless. What I'm saying is, <laughs> whatever they get, I'm not sure what you get when you get a softball national What do you get? Is it like a, a ring or something? Or I don't know, Tiara. I have no idea what they get. But whatever they get, it's not going to last, okay? It is going to go away. All the things that you think are so important on this world, they're gone, man. Your medals, your trophies, your house, your car, it's gone, dude. And why do we spend so much time pursuing that stuff? Because it's only temporary. Peter was writing to uh, the Jews who had been, been forced to leave Rome, lost all their possessions. And this is what he said to them. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Can I just say, we don't know when that's going to happen. could happen today. We just don't know. The heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. The very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Since everything, Paul, I mean, Peter writes, since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live, looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away with flames. It will all be gone. And if it doesn't go during your lifetime, I can promise you this, when you die, it's going to be gone. Listen to me, Elon Musk will take with him at the point of his death the same thing that a homeless drug addict on the streets of San Francisco will take with him. It'll be the same. It's all temporary, guys. Do not spend your life, your longing, your passion on things. Spend it on Christ. Because the fourth reason we shouldn't love the world is because those who do the will of the Father will live forever. Anyone, now look, anyone who does what pleases God, the scripture says, will live forever. The question is, whose will is more important to you, your will or the Heavenly Father's will? You probably already know. Billy Graham said this, and I want you to hear this. This is, I put this in my notes because it was so powerful. No man, Billy Graham writes, no man can be said to be truly converted to Christ who has not bent his will to Christ. He may give intellectual assent to the claims of Christ. He may have emotional, religious experiences. However, he is not truly converted until he has surrendered his will to Christ the Lord, Savior, and Master. That's really what John writes here. Notice what he wrote. But anyone who does, not anyone who says, God, I think that's a good idea. 
Not anyone who cries out when someone says, man, you need to stay in the Word. You need to read your Bible. Amen. That's not the person John's talking about. He's talking about the person who does it, who has such a passion for Jesus Christ that their desire is to obey Him, that they want to use their life, their longings, their energy, their, their treasure, everything to serve Christ. To live for him. I believe most of you know if you love God or seeking to, play, to please him. Some questions you could ask yourself. If you're examining yourself, maybe some questions you could ask yourself. Are you spending time with him daily? I mean, this is his word right here to us. This kind of, some people I've heard describe it as like, this is his love letter to us. Are you spending time in it? I mean, if you love him, You'd want to hear what he has to say, right? You want to spend time in his word. I've got a, in my bedroom, in the bottom drawer, the nightstand, I have got all the love letters that my wife has written to me. Some of them are on the back of calculator tape, you know, where she wrote something on there. Now, why would I have that? Because I'm weird? No. Well, yes, I am. But the fact is because I love her. Those words, they're special to me. I want to keep them with me forever. Well, man, do you love Jesus? Then you're going to want to stay in his word. This is his words of love to you. Do you spend time in it daily? Is he the king of all your compartments or just the Sunday morning compartment? Would people even know that you're a Christ follower outside of the church building? (laughs) Have you told anyone how great Jesus is? Do you do that regularly? I mean, who's greater than Jesus in your life? Who? No one. No one's greater than Jesus. Why don't we tell people all the time, Jesus is the greatest person that has ever come into my life. That world out there needs to hear it. And when you love someone, you want to tell people about them. That's just simple and straight is how it is. Does your sin bother you? Or do you say, well, I get over it. I feel a little something, but eventually I forget all about it. Do you live for his glory? Or do you live for your glory, your pleasure, your contentment, your comfort? The promise is to those who please God will live forever. But I want to be really clear this morning. We will all, all of us here will exist forever. Those who please God will live forever. Those who live for themselves, who love the things of the world, who spend their time, energy on the things of the world, will experience something the Bible calls a second death. It's really death forever, separated from God forever, without any hope at all, period, nothing. John, who wrote this epistle, gives us a picture of this time when he writes in Revelation. He says, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from its presence. They found no place to hide. I mean, the earth and sky, everything's gone. I saw the dead, both small and great, standing before God's throne. They're standing on nothing. They're before his throne. It's just space. Nowhere to run. Nowhere to hide. They have come to the time of judgment. 
It says the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. God knows everything we've done. The sea gave up its dead, the death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Can I just say something? If any of us are judged solely upon our deeds, we've got no hope. No hope whatsoever. Because all of us have fallen short. If you have not turned from your sins completely to Jesus Christ and found your name written in the book of life by his grace, on his merit, you have no hope. So then death and grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. You may not like that passage, but I would definitely be derelict if I hid that truth from you. But for those who seek to please God, John shows what will be happening with them. Revelation 21, he says, I saw a new heaven. Remember the old heaven and earth are gone. I saw a new one, a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven, the old earth had disappeared. The sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. This will be where we'll be living. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. I mentioned that there were four groups here this morning. I want to speak to that groups three and four right now. You may have taken the test that John has given us here about loving the world, loving the things of the world. And if you're in that group three, you, you thought you were saved, but you really never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and looking at this, you come to the realization that, man, I don't have a relationship with Christ. I really don't know what that's all about. Well, this message was certainly for you when he said to examine ourselves to see whether you are in the faith. And I want you to know this morning, you can nail it down. Jesus tells us whoever will call upon his name will be saved. But you have to come to him. You have to surrender to him. You have to turn from your sins, turn completely to him, turn from the love of the world, and turn to him. To that fourth group who's lost, and you know you're lost, and you came in here, and you know, and you're not a Christian, and really wasn't that concerned about that, I would just say this, be saved, man. Where you're headed, there's no true fulfillment. It feels like happiness for a little while, but it always ends in destruction. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and one who follows after the things of the world, that is where their life ends up. 100%. But you can change that this morning. You can come to Jesus as king over all your compartments, over all your life. And I tell you, if you call upon his name, he will accept you. Well, if that's you this morning, what I want to do is lead you in a prayer. 
If you this morning said, man, I don't have, I, I don't have, I don't think I have a relationship with Christ or I don't have a relationship with Christ and you want to nail it down, you can do that this morning. Jesus says, come, drink, right, of the water of life freely. He wants you to come to him. That's why he died on that cross. And so that you could have eternal life, eternal fellowship with him. This morning is your time. You can do that. You can nail it down this morning. If that's you, I want you to simply pray with me right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed. These aren't magic words. You have to mean them from your heart to God. But if you're ready to make that decision, that choice, then pray with me now. Heavenly Father, I admit that I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that he rose again the third day. And at this very moment, I'm turning away from all my sins and I'm turning completely to Jesus Christ. Jesus, I want you to be king over all my compartments, over all my life. I want to follow you all the days of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name.